Hello, and again, welcome to BitDepth. I'm Santiago Ramones. Across from me is... Nicholas Lay. Uh, <laughs> hi, how's it going? I'm good, man. I'm good. I'm glad to be here. Sorry it took so long to actually uh, make this happen. <laughs> Seems like we talked about it almost a year ago or more. Uh, probably like two yeah. years ago. Uh, <laughs> You've done about 126 episodes. Yeah, right? yeah. yeah. Um, so, I mean, I've been, I've been trying to get you on, but I'm, I'm really happy to have you. Right on, right um, on, man. I'm glad to be here. So, who are you? What do you do? Uh, man, uh, I guess <laughs> first and foremost, I'm um, a human being. I'm a dad, um, a husband, a uh, musician. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm a lecturer and a program director up here. Uh, I tour with uh, a few different bands with color music of 15 years or so. Mm-hmm. Uh, I joined the Flaming Lips about five years ago, four, mm-hmm. four, a little maybe, maybe a little over four years ago. Mm-hmm. Uh, as a percussionist and uh, electronic percussionist mainly and and sort of drummer as well and um, uh, I'm a DJ mm. in the last couple of years um, I just do stuff that seems fun to me I guess yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah it was also uh, Brothers Green and then, yeah uh, yeah so Brothers Green would be the, the DJ side of it and I mean I don't really DJ outside of that very much mm. but um, well, I've definitely considered it you know I do it for <laughs> friends and stuff like that just yeah. for fun but yeah, that's that's fun. Yeah, it's a, it's a it's a lot of stuff, but it's good. Yeah. Um, so, how did you get started in music? Uh, I think the immediate connection was probably with my dad, who mm. um, was a musician as well. Yeah. Uh, played in bands um, in the '60s. When, you know, he saw the Beatles on Ed Sullivan. Oh. Had to have a guitar. Started <laughs> the band. The whole thing. You know, everybody had matching Fender. Everything. And uh, he he actually got in a, uh, just for a quick backstory on him. Uh, he was in a car wreck, uh, I think one night coming home from a gig, maybe in Oklahoma City. And um, a short, long story short, he was sort of thrown halfway out of the vehicle. He was like hanging out of the vehicle mm. when the, the car crashed. And um, his friend pulled up behind him and took him home where the other guys might, maybe had more prominent injuries and they went to the hospital. Mm. In the middle of the night, he woke up like a really bad sort of abdominal pain and mm. realized like, okay, I'm bleeding internally. I have to go to the hospital. Yeah. So he was in there for, oh man, I, I might get this wrong, but it was like three or four months. You know, yeah. Several blood transfusions, all these sort Dang. of things. And uh, his father at the time signed him up for college at Oklahoma State in the meantime when mm. all he wanted to do was be a musician. Yeah. But he had a bit of a change of heart being in the hospital for that long and have, having his life saved by mm. these professionals and stuff like that. So he became a, uh, a physician, but at this period of time, in the late 60s, you know, early, I think it was the mid-70s, he was going to medical school. Mm-hmm. He got a lot of money in, in loans. Yeah. Student loans and things like that. Uh, and so he spent all the money he had <laughs> basically on all the equipment he ever wanted. Yeah. And so I, I lived up growing quite a charmed life as far mm. as just having a lot of instruments around. And yeah, yeah. They turned out to be, you know, really expensive <laughs> vintage instruments, which I didn't know about, you know. Sure. I found out pretty quickly the first time I dropped one of our Hofners. <laughs> oh. Yeah. Broke the, broke the neck joint on a, on a Hofner Beetle, oh, Beetle bass. And uh, I found out really quick, like, all right, it's cool that you use this stuff, but you need to, you need to know care what it. it is. Yeah, take care of it a little bit better. But yeah, uh, but yeah. So I, I grew up playing drums with him all mm-hmm. the time. Uh, I'd sit in with his band. Um, mm-hmm. He found me a drum teacher really, really early on, like around five five years oh, wow. old, something like that. And uh, I took from from that teacher on and off. And about sixth grade, I really, really committed. And it yeah. was just like, okay, um, am I going to play hockey or am I going to play music? <laughs> and uh, 
yeah, once I started, you know, playing with basically men, you know, being like a 16, well, at that, that age, I probably would have been like 12 or 13, but they kind of bumped us up into a, a higher league. Mm. Guys were creaming me on the ice, and I was just like, all right, <laughs> I'm out. I'm going to go play, I'm going to go play music instead. Yeah. Yeah. So it was really that, that on. <laughs> Yeah. If you can't beat other dudes in hockey, you might as well beat on the drums. I, was, yeah, I, was used to be, I mean, I'm 6'3". I was used to being the big guy. And, and then when all of a sudden I wasn't anymore, I was like, I'm out, man. <laughs> um, so is drums your primary instrument? Yeah. Uh, I started as a drummer really probably out of necessity. My dad needed a drummer, you mm-hmm. know, that, that sort of thing. Um, and, and he taught me some cool stuff. I think he taught me like Honky Tonk Woman or something like that. It was one of the first <laughs> songs I'd ever learned to play. Mm-hmm. Uh, so anybody hating on me for putting a cowbell on the pink record, they can thank my dad for that. Um, <laughs> uh, it's a color music record. Um, yeah, yeah. But yeah, yeah. So I started as, you know, as a drummer, and that was what I was always interested in. And mm-hmm. between going to my my uh, drum teacher uh, and playing at home, I was always playing with records, mm-hmm. and I was just as much into hip hop as I was rock and roll, Whoa. classic rock, or whatever. Yeah, yeah. And I did. I was an idiot, man. I mean, I didn't know back then that like. That weren't that wasn't actual people playing those drums. Like a lot of those drums were multi-layered and they're yeah, sequenced yeah. or they're sampled plus something else. Mm-hmm. I didn't know. So to me, it was the coolest thing in the world to yeah. try and figure out or recreate that mm-hmm. stuff. So <laughs> my my kind of love for drums really stem between like the sort of uh, I don't know like Mercy Beat uh, type stuff like classic british invasion type rock music mm. and like hip-hop <laughs> <laughs> back and forth between yeah, those two things it's cool but yeah and it progressed like you know i play in cover bands and things like that and mm. my guitarist and bass player didn't get really excited when i'd step up and like teach them how to play whatever they were supposed to play because <laughs> i was i'd start learning bass along with it i just figured it'd be easier than guitar and later found out it's like oh man this is your other half of the rhythm check rhythm yeah, section yeah. this is how you can fit together and it kind of slowly figure that stuff out but yeah when i get up and be like well the baseline actually goes like this they got kind of upset about that <laughs> and so i started finding other people that you know that wanted to be better you yeah, know? yeah and and kind of shed the people who just wanted to you know wanted people to think they were great the way that they were yeah that sort of thing <laughs> uh it wasn't until i think maybe my junior or senior year in high school that I learned how to play guitar. Mm. It's kind of hard to play a drum solo for a girl in the middle of a field at a keg yeah, party. Yeah, you know yeah. what I mean? <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, it was, that, that, that was it. It was just like, well, I have to be able to, to do this and I want to be, I want to be more than a drummer, mm. um, which is nothing for drummers to be ashamed of just being a drummer. It's an yeah, amazing yeah. thing. Um, I just wanted to be uh, considered a songwriter a little bit more than, yeah, yeah. than a drummer, I guess. And, mm-hmm. It's kind of a cool thing because, you know, you see anymore a lot of drummers have studios because you have to have the space for it. Yeah. You have to have the mics for <laughs> it, you know. Uh, and, and so you see people kind of, or drummers especially, kind of taking control and, mm. and doing a lot more than, like I said, I hate saying this, but just being a drummer. And, and I guess what I mean by that is like adopting mm. some sort of production, um, right. you know, skill set <laughs> and... And just kind of knowing what you're doing for me, it was like, all right, I have to figure out how to book the tour, and I have the van, and yeah. But it's, that's, I think it's just, it's just part of your personality. If you like to do stuff, you kind of become the person that makes it all possible. Yeah. Know? But yeah, so it went to guitar for a little while there, and uh, and I just, like I said, I wanted to start recording and writing my own songs and that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. And then it was, it wasn't until college I kind of decided to play piano. 
mm. and took a class uh, at Oklahoma State. It was a pedagogy class. So I was yeah. being taught by other piano students. Yeah. But the most important thing was that I had access to a, an upright piano and yeah. a grand piano and stuff like that. It's mm-hmm. like, that's all. As long as I get a key and I can be down here all night long, like, I'm sure. going to be good. <laughs> so I remember doing my recital and I'd memorized it and they were blown away by that. It's like, are you serious? I mean, this is pretty easy. I can play this other thing too now. You right. Know, yeah. The, it was that kind of thing, but I did that for a couple of months, and uh, I was approached by the the drummer and color music at the time, uh, and said, "Hey, you can play bass, right?" I was like, "Yeah, I'm a bass player, but mm. I know a better bass player. It's my <laughs> friend. I'm actually, I play piano." Mm-hmm. And he was like, "Oh, I didn't know that." I'm like, "Yeah, I play piano." <laughs> so I didn't. I didn't know what I was well, doing. Yeah, yeah, you gotta, you yeah, gotta yeah. upsell everything. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. <laughs> so I got a copy of the record, and I learned those songs really quick. And Colin and I tried out, and we played like half of a song i think it was a gospel <laughs> song and uh, they're like no you guys care like you actually learn the songs like you're in cool which was really cool <laughs> and then it just you know gave me another outlet to like pour everything into mm-hmm. so ryan who teaches at acm here mm-hmm. with me right now we're still still doing it we're releasing another record right now yeah yeah uh I, i'm gonna wait to ask that question sure, sure. and with the plugs but uh <laughs> yeah, yeah um one sort of like musical question uh while we're here uh what's been your biggest musical hurdle and then what's something that you're trying to improve on now um i I would say my biggest musical hurdle is never really taking theory seriously Mm. um uh, i've learned it two or three times throughout my career Mm. uh and just not really used it to its its fullest extent and then Mm. If you don't use it, you lose it type thing. So I could definitely use, you know, we were talking about counterpoint earlier. <laughs> I could definitely use just a music theory uh, lesson again. But at the same time, I get I get a lot of work right now and I have mm-hmm. a ton of stuff I need to do. I just think that, uh, the, especially in my writing, it, it could be a little bit more interesting. Mm. Um, but that that's my biggest hurdle is like kind of going back and forth and going through a period of time of like kind of being ashamed of not, not reading music. <laughs> but at the same time, I'm doing everything I've ever wanted to do. Yeah. So um, I think probably within a year or two, I'll carve out a little pocket of time. It's just like you make yourself better at mm-hmm. different things all the time. You yeah, know? yeah. And and it kind of needs to hit you whenever. But uh, I would say that's probably my biggest hurdle of um, not being able to do both because I've always been able to play by ear and just mm-hmm. pick something up and make sound with yeah, it yeah. or you know put some chords together and that sort of thing. Mm. Uh, but it's just not a good idea to be ignorant on any subject, you know? Mm -hmm. So that's probably my biggest thing. Um, Getting better. um, I spent a long time getting away from being a drummer, so I like to kind of get back into being a drummer. (laughs) I want to train my weak hand. Uh, I'd like to, I I never really learned like paradiddles or rudiments, Mm -hmm. any, anything like that, you know, or even played with music. I was played with musicians or, or, right, right. Yeah, I never read, you know, sight read. I would sight read and mix chorus and stuff like that. And that was, that was always easy and sure. went to state competitions and all that sort of right. stuff. But yeah, I guess there was never anything in school that I was necessarily interested in mm. to do with music. So I kept mine outside of school mm-hmm. all the time. <laughs> and so it was just like reading music and, you know, writing this down or, uh, you know, taking notation on a song I just wrote. That sounds mm. like work. Like, let me just go record it. Right. Yeah. And I also feel like whenever, especially since you started at like a younger age, whenever you're like a teenager and 
like some authority is telling you like, hey, do this work, yeah. you're automatically being like, I don't no want to do that. <laughs> <laughs> and yeah, that exposure too, you know, like mm-hmm. I, I had a trap set. Like I'm not going to just play a snare drum today. Mm-hmm. And like, no, I have an old <laughs> drum kit that I can play right. right now and I earn money with it on the weekends. Like I'm not, yeah, you know, exactly. it's just uh, not really that interested in, <laughs> in that sort of thing. But I do, um, I do wish that I had that sort of um, mm-hmm. definition in both of my hands. I wish I had that that sort of um, skill set, but it's just something that, that I'll grab, you know. Mm-hmm. Like right now, I'm working on a bunch of other stuff, you know, yeah. and it's like yeah. trying to get better, <laughs> get back into singing and things like that. So it's like you just pick them off a little bit at a time. Yeah. But, but yeah, those are definitely my two for sure. <laughs> um, you kind of talked a little bit how you got into color music. How'd you get into the Flaming Lips and that whole mess? I mean, it's, it's kind of one big story. Mm-hmm. I, I really like to tell the story a lot. Um, Cause I don't, I don't think I'm responsible for this happening. You know, I don't think I did any one thing necessarily. Mm-hmm. It was a thousand little things. Mm-hmm. You know, um, I, I grew up in Ponca City. Later moved to Stillwater, Oklahoma, for Oklahoma State. Uh, I stayed there for about nine years, including schooling. Um, mm. I, I, only, I graduated in four and a half. Don't don't worry about that. But <laughs> I hung out there because it was so cheap. Mm. Uh, and we could have a studio space and we were, you know, color yeah, music yeah. was touring back and forth Europe and the United States or whatever. It just made sense. Mm-hmm. But things were starting to fizzle out a little bit in Stillwater. The bands that we were surrounded by weren't really around us anymore. Mm. And you didn't have that healthy competition or really even that feeling of a scene that we had while we mm. were there. Uh, what, what I mean is like bands like Mayola or Other Lives and there was Koenig before. Um, Brother Bear kind of came out of that. Uh, Deer People were on the tail end of that mm. but there was just a lot of cool stuff happening in Stillwater yeah. and it wasn't really happening anymore Yeah. Uh, at the same time I'd gotten the offer to teach here at ACM mm-hmm. and so I was teaching maybe one or two classes mm-hmm. uh, and driving back and forth from Stillwater my Ooh. wife was working here and she was driving back and forth Yeah. and we were both like this sucks Like, let's not do this anymore I'm yeah. like no totally because I want to be in Oklahoma City around the, the bands that that I want mm-hmm. to be around, you know, yeah. and, and uh, my singer and color music was half or in the city half the week anyway. Mm-hmm. It was like, oh, this is not, we're not going to lose, you know, yeah, this yeah. is going to be fine. So <laughs> uh, I really did want to move down here and be around more people, yeah. you know, uh, that, that we could collaborate with or, or whatever. So I think being down here, being closer to the school, um, being around Scott a little bit more, uh, who was our manager already, yeah, yeah. Um, Scott Booker. Um, CEO of the school and, you know, manager of the lips and color music. And, you know, I I was around, I've been doing stuff, I've been posting on social media, whatever it was, you know, however I was putting my name into the ether as being a drummer or whatever. Um, And one time I was on vacation with my family. I got a phone call like eight o'clock in the morning from my manager, which is like something's wrong. Like somebody's dead. Like what what happened, you know? Sure. Uh, so not that Scott doesn't wake up early, but it's just like, he doesn't have any business that he needs to call me about sure, eight in the morning. Sure. You know, it's like, send me an email. <laughs> uh, so when he called, uh, I thought maybe they needed somebody at like pink floor that afternoon or something like that mm-hmm. to play drums because somebody was out of town. He said, you know, you know, Wayne's, you know, making some, uh, some, you know, uh, personnel shifts, you know, <laughs> uh, and we need somebody quick. And it's funny because the first thing I said to Scott, I was like, well, what about Matt Duckworth? Mm. Uh, who was in the band with me as well. Mm. Uh, and he was like, no, we're, we're talking about that. I think the idea is that Matt might be too busy or uh, might have committed to other tours to where he can't do some of the dates. So mm-hmm. uh, Wayne wants to talk to you about being the new drummer on the lips. And I was like, 
Okay. All right. Well, <laughs> uh, yeah. So I got off the phone and immediately talked to my wife about it, and she mm. she had some pretty uh, pretty great immediate insight. She was like, mm. "Well, if you're gonna do it with anybody, you got to do it with them because they." fly out of Oklahoma City and they're always gone but they're always home and I was like well it's, yeah. it's true you know yeah. we can kind of tell that from from social media and and uh, I was like whoa okay this what does this mean you know mm-hmm. what does this mean for color music all that sort of stuff yeah. so um I went through all that and really more than anything it was about like can I get the gig or not you know yeah so I just started studying like crazy and went through <laughs> their I think it was their latest uh, their latest live recording was somewhere in Paris, you know. Hmm. And it was funny because a lot of the songs were from a record called The Terror that they had just toured, and I didn't really plan on playing a whole lot from it anymore. <laughs> so I learned all these songs only to really like go back and learn uh, another kind of greatest hit set that we, mm. we really started playing. But then all of that was kind of futile for me uh, because Matt and Wayne and I eventually just had to sit down and uh, talked about, like, how are we going to do this? Okay, so when Matt's in town, he's going to drum, and when you're in town, you're going to drum. Okay, that sounds right. cool. Well, you're both in town for, like, four months. You know, what, yeah. we got shows, so why don't we play with both of you, and what would that be like? And we mm-hmm. just kind of had that conversation. Yeah. Um, you know, there's no there's no template. There's no, <laughs> you know, there's no, like, okay, you're going to sign this thing, and you're in the band or sure. whatever. It was like, try it on. You might be the best player in the world, but you might totally suck to travel with, you know? Yeah. Like, that's the things you don't really think about, mm-hmm. and especially young young musicians don't think about. And mm-hmm. personally, if it was up to me, I'd take somebody who's like mediocre or average, but awesome to be around and yeah. makes me a better person to mm-hmm. be around. Um, it's not the first time I've heard that. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. I mean, I would take them over, you know, virtuoso any day. Mm-hmm. But that's kind of what eventually started happening. So uh, Matt, uh, by my admission, is a much better drummer than me. Um, mm. I mean, he does have all those... Uh, those rudiments and he has those chops and he plays several different styles. Um, I've always been a sort of a, an artist drummer at the core. And what, what I mean, not that he's not an artist, but um, it's more self-interested. Sure, you sure. know, like I'd, <laughs> I didn't really spread out and like master the drum kit right. or even set out to do that. I really just, I tried to be dangerous enough at everything yeah. and then know how to kind of cobble it together in a recording. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's I, that's the artist thing. It's like, yeah, I don't really yeah. care about this or that or whatever. I care about what I want to know about, yeah. you know. <laughs> and my thing was, um, you know, just being really ham-fisted or playing like this sort of hip-hop style and that sort of thing. And, and it, it kind of became what color music's, you know, drum sound was or whatever. But that's mm-hmm. just kind of what, what I was doing. Matt can play anything. And he does <laughs> on anybody's record. <laughs> and with like 10 different bands when he's mm-hmm. not on tour with the Lips and stuff like that. So um, we, we kind of figured that out really quickly or already knew that between us. But uh, I'd been spending a lot of time with a sampler uh, mm. and electronics just because of my love of hip hop. And I was already using one in, in color mm. music and stuff like that. And so Wayne was kind of moving in a direction already maybe um, of moving away from backing tracks. You know, mm. they had this, this thing that when the lips started using backing tracks, people thought it was like sacrilegious, you know. Mm. And... Uh, it's just a kind of a testament to like, you know, this is, this is art and we can do it however the hell we want to, sure. you know, this is music. Uh, and we make the music that we want to make now and we play it live mm-hmm. with a tape or whatever. So they kind of pushed through that and Steven would be recorded playing drums and then he would actually play keyboard and guitar live and sing mm-hmm. and things like that. But they were trying to get away from that because, and, and color music was too. We, we had just done that with our last record because we'd learned about backing tracks from the Flaming Lips, you know, watching them, be like, wow, look at all the cool things that you can do with it. 
you bring in a horn section halfway through the song and there's no horn player and people are like, what is happening? You know, yeah, all yeah. that sort of stuff. Uh, so we loved and embraced that side of it, but we also started to feel, okay, once you start this song, you're on a roller coaster and mm-hmm. it doesn't stop until it's off. Yeah. Unless the tape dies and then the entire song stops and, you know, there's ups yeah. and downs that go along with both of them. Mm-hmm. So Wayne was really interested in, in figuring out ways to make the live set a little bit more musical mm-hmm. and the fact of not abandoning the live tape, but me really getting into master tracks and chopping up pieces and yeah maybe i'll play a phrase here that's a large sort of you know a vocal maybe it's a chorus um Mm -hmm. you know singing like 40 piece chorus singing this thing that they had layered in the studio or you Mm -hmm. know or maybe uh they're just electronic drum sounds and i'm gonna double over the acoustic kit yeah yeah uh i mean there's just there's any number of weird (laughs) different samples that i go through or whatever but i just i had the experience in that so it was like cool why why can't we just work together and chop some of the stuff up and to, to be honest it was really kind of relieving i think for both matt and i to go like all right we got a partner yeah and kind of reworking how we're going to do some of this stuff and you know with a few different rehearsals and one of them was about 14 hours i think <laughs> Jeez. we we had a show together in a month you know what i mean cool. like, I, I mean I, we really didn't spend a month on it though we spent like less than a week <laughs> it was a lot of preparation it's a lot of me figuring out, okay, I'm going to have to cut samples in practice and get really quick at it. And mm. still not that quick. You know, you could be the <laughs> fastest person in the world, but if, you know, you're bouncing, uh, you know, a long you know, phrase sample or whatever, you're either going to sit there or you're going to offline bounce it and then have to sit there and listen to it to make sure that it doesn't pop or whatever. But yeah, yeah you just, uh, you get kind of quicker at that. Now I know this thing's inside and out. And Matt and I just complimented each other in this really <laughs> awesome way. You yeah, know? yeah. We got to do that with the lip stuff. We got to do that with the Miley stuff. I mean, we mm-hmm. we got together two weeks before everybody else and chopped everything up and started looking at like, okay, this kind of sounds like something that maybe Steven might play or maybe Derek will play or maybe Jake will play. So yeah. we'll lay off of that. And then, okay, well, let's grab these drum samples. Let's grab this stuff. Like, what's the most interesting way that we can do it? And yeah. there's the first level of like pulling it off. <laughs> and then there's the second level of like, well, does it look cool? Is it fun to play? Like, mm-hmm. are you just a dude up there, you know, hitting on the ones? <laughs> or are you actually, you know, getting into it and able to change something and be musical? And so mm-hmm. we just get to go through those sort of phases together. And then yeah. it's been fun, man. It's been really fun. <laughs> um, so then, okay, well, what's your favorite thing about production? And then what's your favorite thing about live performance? Ooh. Oh, man. Um, my, my favorite thing about both of them is they sort of offset each other, right? Mm -hmm. Like you get out and you start playing live enough and you long for the studio and you spend the studio long enough and you long to play live again. Yeah. And, and there's great things and kind of really annoying things about both, but in the studio, excuse me, I think I'm most excited about either breaking the rules, um, doing something nobody's ever thought about, Mm -hmm. uh, misusing plugins, like all, (laughs) all that sort of stuff I think is really, really fun. Yeah. Um, phasing is fun distortion is fun like all this sort of stuff Mm -hmm. which is kind of an anti-attitude or uh maybe a contrarian sort of attitude but Mm. it's important to know those rules to be able to break them yeah you know (laughs) to come in and not really know what you're doing and to stumble across stuff that's fun too Mm -hmm. but um but yeah i like to you know i I love using like guitar pedals on drums and stuff like that yeah why why do guitarists have to have all the fun you know (laughs) you know um so, yeah, production is, for me, to be able to do it in a room that's about probably, f- 
I don't know, I would say like seven foot by 10 foot. Mm. Like that's what I have in my house. <laughs> I've had massive studios in the past and I've never gotten more done than I do right now. Mm-hmm. And so I've like really scaled everything down. It's like, what's the stuff that I use all the time? It's right here. It's constantly yeah. plugged in and I can walk in and record. Mm-hmm. I'm really excited about that right now. Yeah. Um, and being able to work on, on the road, you know, and, and mm-hmm. have a small studio that doesn't take anything to drag it with you. And yeah. you can work all the time. You know, Matt and I will work on remixes or put together, you know, a new DJ mix or something like that. Right. And we'll be able to constantly work. And it's like, man, we, we live in good times. So <laughs> the fact that your studio can be tiny and not cost you anything and you can just really work like crazy. Yeah. I used to get into those things when I was younger. It was like, save up three grand and once i do that then i can start on my record because i gotta buy this piece of equipment or that or whatever and i just started realizing like oh these are just excuses like mm-hmm. this is gonna happen forever if i can't make it with the task cam that i own or with you know garage band and some loops and whatever yeah. it is like yeah. uh i should be making music because that's what i want to do not because i'm just saving up for some stupid mm-hmm. thing you know <laughs> your fans never know if you rented that thing or if you bought it or right. you know if it's a plug-in or you know fans <laughs> just they can't tell that stuff so yeah. why is it so important to me so mm-hmm. uh yeah my my favorite is like sort of getting by in the studio learning something from everybody i work with man mm-hmm. i got to sit in with raglan the other day dustin raglan mm-hmm. is you know dare i say a genius but he's just really fun to be around and, yeah. and to watch him work and I do, I do that anytime. Like I'm around somebody in the studio. Mm-hmm. I'm like, what are you doing there? Oh, that's, that's a really good idea. That's cool. So just like this thing, you know, this podcast thing, <laughs> hopefully you get to learn something, you know, one little yeah, thing from yeah. everybody, you know? Uh, so that I love that in the studio and live is the same, you know, the, mm-hmm. all the people you get to play with. And, yeah. um, I remember one of the things like when I started playing with the libs, so certain things were like so much more professional, than I'd mm. ever seen before. Mm-hmm. And other things were like just as like lo-fi <laughs> or worse than I'd ever seen. Yeah. And it was kind of cool to see it. It was like, oh, okay. So like you don't have to have it all figured out. And mm-hmm. you don't have to spend the most money on a video wall or uh, you know, whatever it is that we're talking about, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, Wayne's really amazing about getting things done on a giant scale. Mm-hmm. with a tiny price tag i say yeah. i say tiny i mean tiny compared to most people sure. it still costs a lot of money and I'm sure booker would be like what are you talking about <laughs> you spend money on everything but um it's really about the idea of getting across mm-hmm. you know and and seeing what's important and seeing what's not and sometimes we can buy into the idea of like well if i pay a lot of money for something that means it's good it's like well, not, not necessarily, not necessarily. True, you know <laughs> so the live thing um I, I like being in front of people man i mean like mm-hmm takes a certain type of person to get on stage every yeah. night and ask people to love you you know <laughs> and uh i i must have t- gotten a taste of that at a young age and mm. you know it's there's nothing <laughs> like it you know it's yeah. really not um i love to travel i love that about the live side mm-hmm. um but yeah i mean it's just it, there's there's a reason we all do it you know yeah. <laughs> <laughs> i don't know if i can pinpoint what it is but yeah, yeah. it feels good for sure um what made you want to get involved in like the business and finance side? Uh, okay, that's that's a that's a really good question. Um, I, I wasn't ever, I wasn't initially interested in the music business. That was just kind of became a necessity after a while. Yeah, uh, it was like, oh, cool, we could be doing this better. We could be making more money. There's other mm. things, you know. <laughs> that that's just kind of my, um, I don't know, my kind of inclination. Anyway, it's like, wait, wait, what's this? And then you dive like way yeah, yeah, way yeah. into it. With the finance degree uh, from Oklahoma State, 
that was kind of a continuation of me trying to keep music separate from schooling. Schooling sure. was this thing that I had to do, and music was my passion, you know? Yeah. And so it was like, well, I don't want to go into the, the music department at OSU, no offense. Um, <laughs> but I didn't want to teach, and mm-hmm. uh, I never played in orchestra, never played in band, so it just mm-hmm. didn't make any sense to me at all. Yeah. Know? And I was like, I'm already writing songs. I don't know what this composi- composition thing is all about. You know, yeah. like I'm already doing that, but it's a, two totally different things. Right, right. right. It's really just kind of an ignorant attitude, but it helped me out and got me, you know, doing what I wanted to do. Yeah. Um, so I thought, well, you know, if I'm going to be a musician, I'll most likely be self-employed. If I'm going to own a studio, mm-hmm. you know, it's going to be my studio. I don't really yeah. work for other people very well, you know. <laughs> uh, so in that fact, I was just like, well, I need to be able to take care of myself. So mm-hmm. a marketing degree is it's kind of like what you're talking about. You're getting your master's right now. You don't have to take counterpoint, but like, let's get it, right? <laughs> sure. So it was the same thing with, with the business degrees. It was sort of like, mm, marketing, nah, accounting sounds a little too boring. Like, <laughs> if you want to get a really strong business degree, you get a finance degree. You mm-hmm. know, that's kind of what the idea was at the time. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I did that. And I was learning about everything except for what I really needed to learn about. It was more like personal <laughs> finance type stuff, yeah. you know? I'm like taking bond market classes. I'm taking... No, uh, yeah, just, you know, <laughs> tax, like, accounting classes and cost accounting, like, all this stuff that sort of goes along with it. Uh, and I started to realize, like, you know, whoever whoever married money and time is, like, kind of an evil person, you know. <laughs> and and a lot of the stuff that it was teaching me was, you know, there's some ethics that go along with it. But a lot of it was, like, if you can control somebody else's money then you can start to peel off some of that <laughs> some of that money and start your own fr- you know it was like it was this thing it was like man this i don't think this would make me happy at all yeah. really um, but i tried and you know i wore business attire to uh, a few of those job fairs and stuff like that and <laughs> it's just like this sucks like yeah. this is just not my world like i don't mm. know how to navigate in it really um and on paper, like, I don't really look any better than anybody else, but I'll guarantee you I'll work harder than other people. And it's mm-hmm. like, I just don't, this doesn't seem like the thing for me. Right. So I was like, I'm going to finish out this finance degree. I got a minor in accounting. Uh, and I hung around an extra half semester. I, I would have graduated in four years, but my parents were cool enough to go, like, we'll pay for another half semester to do mm-hmm. the one thing in college like, you really, really want to do. And those, right. like, those Pro Tools classes. <laughs> and they showed up. And my, uh, my professor, he, he taught them that one summer. <laughs> uh, I think it was like a part of a summer and then maybe another semester. No, it's all good. <laughs> and he taught him that one time. I took it with like four or five other people. And then at the end of it, he told us that he had taken a position at like some, uh, I can't remember what school. It was like in Missouri somewhere, maybe in St. Louis. Mm. Uh, and he was like, so you guys are the only class that's ever going to be able to do this. And it was like, cool. Well, I graduated. I got my Pro Tools classes. <laughs> uh, I did actually take the one class that I needed the most, and that was a business law class taught uh, partly by one of my favorite professors, uh, Andy Urich. Uh, but it, it was all about like managing your money and paying off your student yeah. debt and yeah. managing your credit card debt <laughs> and like how like how to really buy a house, like how not to buy a house like an idiot, like go buy the brand new thing that you're overextended on the second you sign on it. You know? Yeah. I mean, he taught me so many like major life lessons that mm-hmm. honestly I took it as like, this is how you can be a musician for the rest of your life. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, don't be an idiot. 
spend money on the stuff you absolutely need to, mm-hmm. um, and save money, you know, yeah. like make it design your life to where you can do the things that you want to do, mm-hmm. not what society, you know, advertises to you yeah. as how your life could be. Yeah. So, and that's what, that's what the class at ACM is yeah, based directly really off of got it. out of yeah. your class. Yeah. It's business <laughs> management for artists. That's exactly what it's mm-hmm. for, you know? Uh, and, and it's a tough thing because I'm talking to students in there about like, yeah, this is how to prepare for your taxes. A lot of students at that time, when they're taking that class, they're still on their parents' you know, right. uh, tax return and never filed <laughs> their own and never really mm-hmm. made money off of music to where they would actually have to claim it, all that sure. sort of stuff. But it's like, man, stuff that in your pocket and think about it later. Keep these books and mm-hmm. work through them again later. Yeah. Uh, but that, that, I, I gave that book to my dad. That's awesome. I, I love that, man. I, I hear that a lot. And people are like, thank you for that. It's like, I didn't write the book. Right. But, but yes, you're welcome for bringing you to it for sure. Mm. But, um, no, it's just a really great system, you know, mm-hmm. and it's simple enough that anybody could do it. But so that whole business thing, I just, I like to hack everything. You yeah. know what I mean? <laughs> Whatever it is, if it's a guitar pedal, I'm going to open it up and, uh, try and mod it or something. You know, it's, <laughs> it's that sort of thing. How can we make this better or make yeah, it to yeah. where nobody else knows how to do it or whatever that <laughs> is. Um, so, yeah, I mean, the business thing came out of it was like, you know, we'd been on a couple of labels and we'd talk to people and they were a lot of the time saying like, well, you know, we own your record and it, it's not really selling, so we don't want to put any more money in it and you can't do anything <laughs> else with it either, yeah. you know? So uh, out of the, the frustration of that, I mean, Ryan and I were always uh, learning about the music business period because we were trying to stay up and trying to take it seriously. You know, mm-hmm. we have, you know, uh, he especially has a lot of professionals in his family. And it's like, you know, I'm going to take this as seriously as I possibly can. Yeah, so yeah. We, we really all pushed each other to do that. But on the music business side, it was just like, man, this is a thing that I got. You know, this is a knack that I have. <laughs> I love it. You know, it's, yeah. it's fun. It's creative. Uh, to me, I think it's just as creative, if not more creative sometimes than, than the artwork itself, because mm. a lot of times you find people that, that are really good at one thing, but they're really only chasing it because it's popular at the time. Mm-hmm. And it's like, well, that's not that's not very artistic to me. I don't think if you're if you're that sort of third you know, tier of creativity and you know, the <laughs> first one who's the innovator and the one who realizes it, but actually can capitalize on it. And the third one that just carbon copies it. So <laughs> there's a lot of people that are going along going. Yeah, I can do this thing. And it's like, well, that's cool as long as that thing's popular. But the thing about music is we go in cycles, you know. So if you get really great at one specific type of music or, <laughs> you know, producing this type of beat or this and that, it's like you, you got to keep that going or mm-hmm. figure out better ways to sell it. And it yeah. brings you back to to the other side of it, you know. Booker mm-hmm. said something to me a long time ago um, that always stuck. But he was like, everybody has the right to make music, but not everybody has the right to sell it. And so I was sort of like, whoa, you know, it took me back for a second. I was like, I don't think you can say that, but it's totally true. You know, I mean, when you're selling an album to somebody, it needs to be something they like. And if it's not, they're not going to buy it. Hmm. And most, you know, I'm guilty of this as well. I mean, most artists immediately, like if their record isn't selling or people don't care about their band, they're not coming to see them live start lashing out at other people and finding all these excuses for why it's happening. But comes down to it your show sucks and your song suck. You know, like <laughs> that's the whole thing. And nobody wants to hear that, but yeah. I'm the type of person that likes to work, you know, from, from based on facts and I can take them even if they're terrible about me. Chances sure. are, I probably already know it. You know, like <laughs> you're not a good singer. That's why people don't like your song. Like, exactly. That's why I'm taking vocal lessons right now. Sure. <laughs> it's like, I want to know that stuff and fix it and get better. at it. A lot of people just want to be told that they're great the way that they are. So mm. when, 
it, it's a weird thing telling students that and trying to be um, fair and balanced, but at the same time honest because mm-hmm. it's like, <laughs> you know, if, if you don't want to work very hard, like that actually helps me and the public. Like when we get out into the private sector and we're both playing music <laughs> and you don't want to work very hard, like, cool, I don't have to worry about you. You're never going to be my competition. Sure. But I want them to be successful. Mm-hmm. And so you get to this point where it's like, all right, we're going to have to get hypercritical and we're going to talk mm-hmm. about ways that they can be better. Mm-hmm. Um, but you have to be in tune, you know? It's like selling anything else. You can be an artist and make songs in your bedroom and record them and put them on SoundCloud and never sell them or whatever. It'd be amazing. It's fine. There's nothing wrong with that, you mm-hmm. know? But everybody wants to be successful. Everybody wants to make a lot of money. They want to at mm-hmm. least earn their living. And mm-hmm. those are two totally different things, you know? Yeah. So... I just I like I like to be honest with students in a way that that can get them somewhere where they get to some sort of new level of self-realization because mm-hmm. after a while people aren't going to be telling that anymore you know the, yeah yeah and my, they might be telling it but it's just on it's just on an Instagram <laughs> you know comment that comes from nowhere and just ruins your day you know it's <laughs> like if your buddy who you respect tells you that and tells you a way to get over it or this and that like that's that's valuable information you know mm-hmm. so. Honestly, in a long roundabout way, that's that's how I got into music business, and that's mm-hmm. how I got into um, just really doing this professionally as yeah. well. But yeah, you got to be great. You know, that's the thing. If yeah, you're not great. You know, <laughs> why should somebody buy it? You know, just because they're your friend or your grandma or whatever. Mm-hmm. It's like they're not going to support you with those those album yeah. sales or those ticket sales or whatever. So yeah, yeah. Um, I was going to ask like what what sort of the first thing that you should think about whenever you are trying to go into music but you kind of already like sure sure yeah i mean um it's kind of like the threshold that i talk about in class and then coming into my my office you know it's like (laughs) in class i'm pc i keep it i'm not trying to hurt anybody's feelings you know Mm. i'm trying to be very factual and leave it there but it's like if you want to talk about your career and you want to ask me what my opinion is about it like are you sure you want to do that? Because <laughs> you, sure? you got to be ready, you know. And I'm yeah. not trying to hurt your feelings. I'm just trying to say, to me, this hits me immediately as derivative of this, and so I put it in another category. Then I'm like, well, it's not as good as that. So I'm not, I'm, you know. Mm. So I, I'll I'll do I'll do whatever it is, you know, for mm-hmm. that student that needs to be said, you know. Yeah. Um, but the first thing that a student needs to know, I was actually thinking about this on the way over here. Um, the first thing that they need to know is they need to align their ambitions with with what they're actually willing to do. Hmm. And what I mean by that is to have a serious career in the music industry, you have to have a long-term career. Yeah. And our ambition usually, and, and mine included, but it's getting worse with students being younger and younger and seeing um, sort of overnight successes or what they think yeah. are overnight successes through social media and stuff like that. And then TV shows like The Voice and, and yeah. American Idol don't really help because mm-hmm. it's like, well, I could sing in church my whole life and then be on TV for five minutes and then win this competition or whatever. And then mm-hmm. my life changes. It's like, well, kind of, but <laughs> you know, there haven't been a lot of those people who have gone to have really great long careers. There's been mm-hmm. a few, mm-hmm. but it's about the same percentage of anybody else coming mm-hmm. out of nowhere and having a long career, you mm-hmm. know? So what I would say is, I mean, even Bieber, who looked like he showed up when he was 10 and had it all or whatever, that kid was groomed for years and years and years by his manager. So it's like, don't get in too much of a hurry. You know, when we yeah. get to that that culture of like, I made this song, you know, two hours ago and it's already <laughs> on SoundCloud and people can listen to it. 
it's like you go back to the the three little pigs. You know, if you, you build this house with with straw, you know, you did it in two seconds. It's a not going to last very long. Mm-hmm. B, it's not your best work, obviously, because you didn't <laughs> spend very much time on it. So I like to, especially the way that I work with Ryan. It's like you know we work on stuff for a while, but those records don't sound like any period of time, you know, mm-hmm. with color music, which is great because if anybody finds it at a record shop, uh, or more likely online now. Mm-hmm. Uh, they'll go like, did this come out yesterday or did this come out 20 mm-hmm. years ago or whatever? Yeah. And that's cool for me. That's exciting for me because, you know, you know, it's not like picking up a, a good Charlotte record and being like, oh, that was 2001. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. Or whatever, 2003, sure. you know. Um, and that that's kind of the important thing to me. So if it's important for the student or for the person entering the music industry to be famous immediately – Dude, you just need to do something ridiculous. Put it on, make a really great video for it. Put it on YouTube. Um, you can offend people if you want to take it that route. Um, <laughs> you could do something really funny if you want to take it that route. It could be extremely heartfelt um, and revealing if you take mm-hmm. it that route or whatever. But if that's what you want and you want to be in front of people and you want people to know who you are immediately, there's a way to do that. You mm-hmm. know? But those don't always transfer into long-term careers unless yeah. you make some really great decisions after that. Um, but if you if you poise yourself to to really achieve the things that you're interested in, like building a tour and starting small and doing weekend tours and making it across the U.S. and building a name and mm. building relationships and stuff like that, yeah. you'll have a much longer career in that regard. Mm-hmm. And you won't be so desperate for management or a booking agent you know, or a, a publisher. Mm. Whereas, to be honest, I mean, it's where I make the majority of my money from from most of my list, other than the lips, like... Uh, is from publishing, you know, which is, mm-hmm. it's just like this curtain, you know, this, this dark curtain that nobody really knows what's behind it, you know, and it, it's funny, this day and age, still not like one way to get your song on on a on a movie or on a commercial or whatever. Mm-hmm. But if you want those sort of things, then be okay with them happening slowly and make sure that you're doing the things in the meantime that really matter to what you need to do tomorrow. Mm-hmm. Because I see bands like, you know, borrowing a bunch of money or saving a bunch of money and then spending it on something just ridiculous. And yeah. they thought like, man, if we all got like in-ear monitors, like we'd really get to the next level. It's like, no, that's not, that's not <laughs> it. Or what if we gave this guy that we've never met $2,000 to do a college radio campaign for us? And it's mm-hmm. like, just because you pay a lot of money for it doesn't mean it's going to help you. So align those ambitions. Do you, do you want to be in it for the long haul? Make those small decisions every single day to make sure you're doing that. Yeah. Come to ACM if you need a little time to figure it out, you know, whatever that is, but or just curate your your education online, whatever, mm-hmm. whatever you're trying to do. Um but if if you just want like attention, there's really great ways to do it <laughs> without spending a bunch of money on education, right. doing it, you know. Yeah. But fair warning, that stuff doesn't last usually, you mm-hmm. know. So, yeah, it's that it's that mixture and a lot of times when those things are misaligned, uh, I hear about it as an instructor or you know a program director like you didn't make me famous or you didn't give me a job or you didn't do this. It's right. like, well, I mean, when I went to Oklahoma State, nobody promised me a job when I got out. I mean, I'm not mm-hmm. really sure what you're what you're talking about. Nobody yeah. told me I was going to be, you know, a, a financial analyst or a planner or you know maybe an accountant for something. Nobody guaranteed me any of that stuff. Mm-hmm. It was all about how hard I worked. Mm-hmm. And I didn't work very hard at it because I didn't care about it. I worked my right. ass off. Sorry. I don't yeah, know you can say whatever you want. I worked my ass off as a musician <laughs> trying to figure out how to get out of state and then, you know, get out of the country mm-hmm. and then get overseas and all that sort of stuff. Like, 
that's what I spent my time doing and it, and it worked. Yeah. You know? yeah. So it's, you know, if you want to sit around and play Xbox all day and, you know, make something in Ableton that afternoon and put it on, on SoundCloud, that's great. Mm-hmm. You know, and if you get popular from it or famous or whatever, that's even better. Mm-hmm. but you have to be thinking about that sort of stuff to really keep it, you know, to keep yeah. it going. So yeah, it's, it's just, it's up to them. I, mm-hmm. know, I know what I like to do. Yeah. So <laughs> you know, it's, I, it's weird, but I like spending time in spreadsheets, you know, sure. you know, whether it's people to email or it's figuring out how much money I made or how much money I owe or something like that. Uh, it's time for me to be meditative and to figure out like, how can I do it better the next time? Mm-hmm. It's the same way that you can sit in a DAW or I could sit in a DAW for hours and hours, yeah. like just messing with stuff, you know, <laughs> that may not matter, but right. it's just because that's what we like to do. Yeah. You know? Yeah. So, yeah, if this is something you like to do, make sure that you have some some idea that's based in reality of what it's going to take to do it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Um, last one on the music side. Uh, sure. Where do you see the music industry going? But also, where would you like for it to go? <laughs> <laughs> um, I, I think that's a great question. Um, as a precursor to that, like one of the things that bugs me the most is how people talk about you know, this sort of heyday or golden period of the music industry. <laughs> it didn't exist. It hmm. doesn't exist. You know, if you want to talk about you know the, the 80s, 90s, and early 2000s as this like beautiful period of time where people were selling an over priced piece of plastic to us you know and ripping us off or whatever like that's the golden period i I don't know about that i mean i know i spent a lot of money on it but the only people that really got rich were were record executives Mm -hmm. you know those artists didn't for the for the most part most of them didn't make it out very well you know so i don't really think that was a golden period um whether it was you know talking about music or talking about the business side or just bands and in general. So I never want to get back to that for sure. Yeah. I never want to get back to limited access, um, limited availability mm-hmm. because I mean, when you think about it, like, you know, I would buy, I grew up in Ponca city. So my only outlet at the time, cause we didn't have mom and pop record stores that had all been killed off by <laughs> you know, Best Buy and tower records and, mm-hmm. uh, Walmart and mm-hmm. Hastings was my, my particular poison right. in town. So, uh, they were amazing at the same time because they brought in magazines and things like that you know, mm-hmm. from, from the UK, Q Magazine, NME, mm-hmm. all that stuff just opened my world. And I could get all my records from them. But the, it was weird to me. Like if I, if I special ordered a record, I'd spend 20, 30, 40 bucks on it sometimes. You know, if it was yeah. a double you know, CD yeah. or something like that. And I had no problem doing that, you know. Mm-hmm. But everything else it was like i would look in the used bin for it or just buy it off the shelf at whatever price there was mm-hmm. well sometimes you get some record that you loved exponentially and you'd find it for six dollars in the used bin yeah and then you'd buy a record that you didn't really care very much about but you know it's cool and your friends are all listening to it and there's like only one song on it and you'd spend like nearly 20 bucks on it or yeah whatever. i always thought that was really screwed up mm-hmm. you know that was that was such a weird thing it was like, man, this record I would buy 10 times over, you know? Mm-hmm. And if it meant that I was giving money directly to the band, I would pay two times as much or yeah, yeah. just buy two copies, you know? <laughs> so with things like Bandcamp to where you can pay what you want, you know, whether yeah. it, it's nothing or it's, you know, or it's at least $5 and you can overpay, like, I love that, man. That's, yeah. that's insane. Like, why, why weren't the record companies thinking of that before? Because they were too busy <laughs> thinking about, we need to get this amount of money from every single person that buys it. They didn't really think about like, 
well, there's tiers of fans. You know, there's there's people yeah. that show up to the city festival because that's the only thing to do. Mm-hmm. There's people that you know will pack it in for three days, like way out in some remote you know area <laughs> or whatever, and pay three hundred dollars a ticket because they really love these bands that are yeah. on here. Like there's difference. There's there's differences in, in those fans, and and they weren't really taking care of it. So. I just think I think it's more fun now than ever yeah. to be making music and to offer it to people in cool ways and mm-hmm. and to really sh- I mean more than anything like yeah I'm going to be making music whether there's somebody there to listen to it or not mm-hmm. you know but it's pretty damn cool when there is somebody there to listen to it so any chance you get to tell those people like hey I really appreciate it it's pretty cool you know yeah. it's pretty damn cool <laughs> um so when you are on a label and I have been a couple of times it it just limits a lot of the things because all of a sudden your passion and your appreciation for, for the people that are supporting you, that all gets quantified into dollars and cents. Yeah. And it's like, wait, you love them how much? Wait, you want to give them a full color poster inside the vinyl? That's going to be an extra $3 <laughs> for, we yeah. can't do that. You know, yeah. <laughs> you know, and that, <laughs> that stuff kind of sucks. Uh, and there's creative work, ways to work around that. But I think right now, you know, you and I can make a record tomorrow and get the vinyl made for it within five or six months and put it out. I mean, that's beautiful, man. Yeah. Like, we can distribute it worldwide. Mm-hmm. It's only going to get better. Yeah. You know, there's, I, I say that. It, it, it's a little scary with <laughs> some of the political influence and things like that. I don't know how interested um, in our current president is in copyright issues and stuff sure. like that, but let's hope he doesn't take an interest at all. <laughs> but um, you know, from from the standpoint of free enterprise, it's only going to get better. Hmm. Because if you look at like TuneCore, CD Baby, those companies that have been digitally distributing, you know, mm-hmm. smaller artists for years, yeah. they're having employees leave those companies and start their own companies that hmm. that are more forward thinking. You know, that yeah. are, are going like, well, we could eliminate our entire collections office and a giant headache if we didn't take any of these artists' royalties at all. Yeah. Well, how do we make up for that revenue? Well, let's put them on a subscription service that allows them to upload an unlimited amount of music a year, mm-hmm. and they have to pay that twenty bucks every year, you mm-hmm. know, instead of like the fifty dollars one time. But we have to hire somebody to go through and figure out all the, the disbursements for all of their plays at each mm-hmm. year, you know. So it's just people thinking about stuff that they love and making mm-hmm. it better a little bit at a time. Yeah. The music industry is going to be amazing, you know. I mean, I'm not against uh, subscription services. I'm mm-hmm. not. I love the mixture of convenience and uh, permanence that you can have today. You know, it's like I I don't really buy a lot of vinyl um, without hearing it or really without loving it anymore. Yeah. yeah. You know, I I did. I bought CDs like crazy when yeah. I was a kid. I consumed music. <laughs> And then realized pretty quickly, like, oh, this, this sucks. And a great thing about Hastings is you could take a CD back. You just <laughs> get your money back straight up. And I did that a lot. But you can't really do that anymore. But I can try out that song on Spotify, mm-hmm. you know. I can consider it. And because, you know, I wear a lot of different hats, maybe I don't really love it as a listener. But mm-hmm. I do love it as a DJ. And I'm going to play it, you know, yeah. in a set or whatever. So it allows me to to really consume music in, in a way that makes sense to me. And then for mm. the stuff that I love, I go commit to it and I, I show those artists I love it, you know? Yeah. If uh, I'm not lucky enough to catch them on tour when I'm on tour at a festival or something, then I'll buy a ticket to go see them. Mm-hmm. Or I'll buy their vinyl or this and that. And, and I'm, you know, completely devoted to certain artists, mm-hmm. you know? And I, 
I love buying records that I love to listen to, but I also like to listen to about a hundred songs a day, you know, <laughs> and just chew through them, you know, mm-hmm. and maybe that's a bad thing for those artists. You know, the fact that I didn't give them more than 15, 20 seconds of a listen, sure. but at the same time, this is going to send me on another tangent at the same time. Like <laughs> I, from when I even started at the school when I started mm-hmm. teaching, uh, because I think it was the attitude of the industry at the time, and it was definitely the attitude of, of our band, like, let's get the most fans we can possibly get. Mm. And that sounds cool, but do I really care about what somebody thinks about my band when I'm only, like, you know, number 500 on their list of bands that they like? You know mm-hmm. what I mean? I like to weigh people's opinions based on how much they're into it, you know? So yeah. if I have if I have somebody who's like, you know, completely a devoted fan, like the color music record, we've, we've been selling it, uh, oddly enough, we've been selling it a really weird way where yeah, you yeah. have to get a hold of us personally to buy it. Mm-hmm. Uh, what that allowed us to do is shed our, you know, email list that was like over a thousand people or whatever, uh, down to about, you know, 120 people or something, you know what mm-hmm. I mean? It's like, but these people would buy our record without hearing it for $10 for a digital download. Yeah. Like that says a lot to me. And, you know, to them, like, we have a lot of stuff in store for them because they did something really special for us, you know? Yeah. Um, And and it just gave us perspective. It was like, I want 100 fans that I can guarantee I can sell 100 copies of this thing to. Yeah. I don't want 3,000 people on an email list. And then, (laughs) you know, like a tiny percent of it comes back. Because I'm bugging these people. I mean, we all get we all get email that bug the crap out of us or whatever. It's like, yeah, I don't want to give you that. I, don't, I mean, if you if you're in, come come in and you're part of the family. Yeah. But I I don't need this like blanketed thing to where I paid somebody to you know boost my followers to twenty thousand followers. Sure. Like all that stuff's just it doesn't really do anything for you other than you know to the the passerby going like oh got a lot of followers you must be cool and it's like whoo that's a that's a bad way to think about things you yeah. know. Uh, you could just say something really stupid and get a lot of followers. Like, mm-hmm. you know, it's possible. So, <laughs> uh, yeah, it's about that quality of that experience. And, and yeah, maybe I'm, you know, I'm not going to support myself solely on color music album sales. Sure, that's mm-hmm. fine. But for us to put in the time, we want to do it for people that really care. And then I'll listen to those people all day long. Mm-hmm. Like, hell yeah, I want I want this type of vinyl or I want, you know, I want this record or I want mm-hmm. these B-sides or this and that. It's like, all right, cool, we'll finish it then. Yeah. <laughs> Let's do that. Yeah. That sounds cool, man. Like, <laughs> people want to talk about it and, and that sort of thing. Like, absolutely. Let's do that again. So, mm-hmm. yeah, for me, um, the future is more about quality over quantity, you know, mm-hmm. over like number of streams or this and that. It's about yeah. making a really great song that could possibly last forever. And it's about, you know, delivering those, especially those physical things, whether it's a t-shirt or a record, like mm-hmm. I don't really want to take people into consideration when we do it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, normally at this point I start asking the spiritual side of questions. Sure. But sure. like now we've gotten onto the length of a podcast that's going on to like, Oh, another okay. episode. You want to do part one, part yeah, two? Yeah, yeah. So we'll we'll do that on on this one okay, by cool. by way of the the Doctor Pan's episode. So, All right. in in that case, uh, stick around till next week, and you'll get another Nick Lay episode. So, uh, <laughs> uh, Nick, thank you for doing this with me. Yeah, absolutely, man. I mean, come on, you're asking me to talk about myself. I'm pretty good at that. <laughs> um, where can we find you and your things? Um, okay, so. Man, um, 
You can probably find my phone number if you wanted to somewhere. So <laughs> uh, look look me up on ACM's website, mm. uh, acm.uco.edu. Yeah. If you want to know about the school, if you want to know about, I guess, more things with me, if you want to find an email for me or something like that, um, colormusic.net. Um, there's not really much there right now, <laughs> but check out our Instagram at color music spelled the proper English way. C-O-L-O-U-R <laughs> music, all one word. Um, and then you'll get, and you'll find an email there that you can buy a record from us. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I'll, I'll talk a little bit more about that later, but there's, yeah. there's a lot of thought behind that. And then, um, flaminglips.com, um, you can find all our tour dates. We're releasing stuff like crazy. Um, we've got some cool stuff out right now or that's about to come up. Mm. Um, and then Brothers Green, which is spelled with three eyes to make mm-hmm. it easier to Google. Cause like there's, <laughs> there's a couple of dudes in, in New York that like cook together or something like that. Brothers Green EE. So we changed it to the I, I, I thing, but, uh, <laughs> yeah, it's just brothersgreen.com and, uh, you can find out where we're touring and what parties we're doing and stuff like that. Cool. Yeah. Uh, Again, thank you for doing this with me. It's been a long time coming. Um, yeah, absolutely, man. <laughs> so I'm Santiago Ramones. I'm Nick Lay. You can find everything that I do on my website, SantiagoRamones.com. You can find my music. I have a demo there that you can pay zero dollars or right. however many dollars you want to pay for that. Exactly. Um, and there's also some music on my SoundCloud and stuff. Uh, you can find this podcast on Apple Podcasts, on YouTube on stitcher and you can leave reviews or leave comments let me know what you think about it um and uh, i always end my podcast with my three things they shape my life philosophy those three things are love never fails it's going to be okay i might be wrong that's good (laughs) i like those